Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm your host, Sky Guasco. You are listening to the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at fantasy football underscore TCK pod and on Twitter at TCK underscore pod. You can find all of our rankings and multiple articles at TCKpod.com. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get into it. What up, TCK Potters? Welcome back to the program. Another episode of the Candlestick Kids fantasy football podcast i'm your host sky guasco joined today by my man lucas caser this is episode 348 today we are breaking down 10 things that didn't work for fantasy football in 2020 again that's 10 things that did not work a lot of people let you know what did work and it's always good to pat yourself on the back but i know that i learned the most from the mistakes that i made or looking back on the season when I recap things to find out what I can do differently next season to enhance my game. I know Lucas feels the same way. Lucas, what do you generally learn when you look back on recap episodes like this? And of course, we'll get through the 10 things individually, but just kind of generically, what do you generally learn from looking back on a season like this when you find out the things that you didn't do well? Yeah, I think that this is probably going to be one of well, for us, one of the most important episodes and for I think where the misconception is, is everyone, 95% of people just blame it on injuries, right? They just blame their losses on injuries because they don't look at what didn't work. They just look at what worked well for them. And I mean, for us, we play in so many leagues that it's tough to be like, okay, this worked. And then you go to a completely different league structure, something else worked because there is no right answer as to what did work. So I think this episode does a really good job of because there is right answers to what didn't work. And I think what I learned the most is the way I view these episodes is I take it all the way back to like come draft time. I don't really look much at like waiver wire and uh, trading and I don't know, like fab spending. Cause I think that that is easily fixable because this has a lot to do with effort, I think, or like really minor adjustments but I think when it comes to like draft strategy and like the way you prepped that stuff is yes effort but it's more like you have to teach people these things you have to show people these things so I think looking back on it now I think you really see the trends you had and that led to the profit that we that we had we both had a really good year uh, but I know people that did not have a really good year just due to differing viewpoints differing strategies going in so I think this will be good for everyone listening, um, I'm, I'm assuming most people kind of got the vibe of what we, who we drafted, why we drafted them, and kind of the strategy we had going into last season. So obviously we'll preface those before we give what we learned, but hopefully they can see that um, we are not just going to say what we did well because everyone does that. They just toot their own horn and neglect the things that were wrong. So this will give you a look at what did not go well for us. I totally agree. And one thing that we really have prided ourselves on from the last couple of seasons on the TCK pod is um, again, we talk less about what we did well on and the things that we did, right. We actually very rarely kind of toot our own horn, if you will. Um, It's more about like, Oh, I, you know, I missed on this guy and I'm trying to be honest about that or, uh, 
you know, I, I thought he was a great waiver wire pickup. Turns out that he wasn't. Or, man, you know, I didn't think he was going to be that important. And sure enough, he gave you six quality weeks, whatever, right? So we try to really own our own shit on the podcast and uh, make sure that we're producing the most accurate Con, uh, content for you all right like it feels good to say oh lucas man you called that guy well done and me to do that too for an hour like that feels good for us to do but we don't really learn anything right we can have those victories off of the podcast it's best to look in and dive deep and be like oh shit well man if i would have cleaned up three or four of these things which seem obvious now but we didn't know ahead of time clean those mistakes up for next year maybe I win seven of my leagues instead of three of them. Right. So I totally agree with you. And, and we always want to have the highest amount of credibility and integrity here on the podcast. I know that we all value that here significantly. So I'm excited to get into this, man. Once again, 10 things that didn't go well, didn't work for us in 2020. Lucas, I'm going to let you kick it off here. What's your first thing uh, that didn't work for you in 2020? Yeah, so this is one that I know me and Dwayne uh, or Dweez that does the Stat Right episodes. I don't know if we ever covered it on this podcast because we moved our two-person segment like halfway through the summer. And it's it's drafting for upside. And I put upside in quotes because this is a term that gets bounced around Twitter, around fantasy, because it's it's apparently it's the way to win your leagues, right? All, all summer it was, it was fade David Montgomery, draft DeAndre Swift, Gibson for upside because Montgomery doesn't have any upside that's just one example and this kind of goes um this is this is one of the talking points and we'll go over the zero RB or the modified zero RB strategy like more in depth but this is one of like the bullet points if I had to make like five bullet point lists as to why this strategy works so drafting for upside to me means that People that say this, that if that influence the ADP, are coming in saying that they they will not rank these players ahead of they will not rank DeAndre Swift ahead of David Montgomery, but they will draft him over David Montgomery. And like right now, people are probably like, why would they do that? That makes zero sense, right? Like you're not gonna you're gonna draft who you have ranked higher in fantasy finish. Well, yes, but people still don't do that for some reason because they're just holding on to the hopes that a 95th percentile projection in volume for Swift will hit over the 75th percentile with David Montgomery. And what I mean is if you were to simulate a season a hundred times or a thousand times, let's do a hundred because it's easier to do math in your head. 75 of the seasons, you would have David Montgomery hitting, I don't know, 210 touches on the season, right? Now go to DeAndre Swift in his rookie year. You're projecting that the 95th percentile, so only five of the seasons on the other side, you'd have him projected for more volume than Montgomery and everyone is thinking well yeah then why wouldn't you take Montgomery so really just eliminate the drafting for upside because that did not work this year that did not work last year and I have another one down below but really just volume in general from what I've seen and how I play fantasy works 95% of the time I know you kind of agree to some aspect but like it's it's the safer option but honestly if you play in a lot of leagues like we do safer leads to better, it leads to more money. And we all play fantasy to win money. Like if you just want to play for fun, like go turn on your Xbox or something and play a Madden franchise or something and draft your own team. So the drafting for upside, yes, does have its pros to it, but I can give many, 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 many examples as to why it's flawed, why the math isn't there around um, target share on the team and why lack of targets isn't going to outweigh volume more often than not. I think the upside situation in fantasy football is like 
that's like the fun, sexy stuff that we look for later in drafts, right? Like Mm -hmm. everybody, everybody wants to find Justin Jefferson in the 11th round every single season. And to be honest, there always is, I mean, not quite the top five receiver or anything like that, but there are gold nuggets, right? Odell Beckham was in the 15th round or whatever his rookie year. I mean, this happens every AJ Brown wasn't even drafted last season. There are a lot of those gold nuggets in the later rounds, James Robinson this year, Mike Davis, yada, yada. But the reality is those are in the later rounds always. And, you know, I agree with you in the early rounds, we always, and we're going to go through Mm -hmm. draft strategy later on. I, we, you know, you and I always preach, and this is why you and I ended up taking home, I think more leagues than usual, to be honest with you. Like I won more leagues this year than I've won in the last couple seasons, strictly because I took Devonte Adams in the first round in almost every single league that I could over Zeke Elliott, over Saquon Barkley, over Michael yeah. Thomas, over Joe Mixon, over Kenyon Drake, you know, over guys that were in the first round because I knew his volume was going to be there. He missed two games and he was the uh, wide receiver one by 30 points, right? We didn't expect Saquon to get hurt. You don't expect Zeke and Dak situation to happen. We didn't expect um, Michael Thomas to go down. Like I can't say I predicted any of that stuff. I didn't. But I knew in a perfect world, I'm still taking Tay, and it worked out this particular season. Last year, I did the same thing, and he got hurt, and it burned me. So it happens more or less, but you take the safe options early, right? Anybody can get injured, but you take the safe options, you take the volume, take the touchdown upside early, then you take the upside players late. Upside players don't matter if it's your second-round pick. What is the upside of a second-round pick, right? You look, and maybe the eighth-rounder later, then you look at upside guys, so... I agree with you, man. Drafting for upside early, it sounds sexy. It sounds fun. But if they don't also have a floor, I'm worried about it. Here's what, here's a quick example for me, and we'll move on. I was all about Jonathan Taylor in the third or fourth round because I knew he had the quote-unquote upside. This is when Marlon Mack was still on the team and not injured yet. He had two other running backs ahead of him, a new quarterback, all that. But I also knew he was probably going to have a floor enough to keep him around on my bench. Although I was, I love J.K. Dobbins' talent. I love him coming into 2021 now that Mark Ingram's gone and whatnot. But I wasn't drafting him in redraft leagues last year because I didn't expect him to have a floor. I knew the upside was there, but Lamar's there. Gus Edwards is there. Justin Hill is – Justice Hill is there. Mark Ingram is there, blah, blah, blah. So that's when you start combining the upside with the volume and mm-hmm. the floor players. So I agree with you. I'm fading upside early but I'm all about upside late, but you need to make sure you have those steady pillars on your team first. Cause usually upside guys don't become upside guys until the second half of the season. And at that point, you know, if you waited that long and they haven't produced, you're hurting, of course. Okay. I'll get into my first one here. It's drafting injury concerned players. So this is somewhat of what I just talked about. And again, you can't avoid injuries coming into this year. Our good friend, Nick Herculano at BDGE always says, and I appreciate this a lot. He always says, don't draft injuries. Injuries will draft you, right? So injuries are going to happen every single season this year with COVID and no preseason and everything else going on this year. Injuries were just absolutely unrealistic I think moving forward especially at running back unfortunately it was a terrible year for running back injuries but again there were a couple of guys that had a little bit of a history that I faded Saquon Barkley 
right? I faded because he got hurt two years ago coming in. I thought maybe he'll be hampered, whatever gets injured again. James Connor, unfortunately, I just don't think is going to be the James Connor from his one hit wonder. So I didn't play him. Todd Gurley worked out on volume alone, but did not have the burst. AJ Green, Jarek McKinnon. I mean, the list goes on and on and on from injured players that continued to get injured again. I'm not drafting guys like that unless they're absolutely otherworldly. One guy, I st- you know, I put my flag in and I stood by and I, I had as my uh, RB3 heading into the season this year and I stuck by and it worked out was Dalvin Cook because I knew the talent was there and he's been hurt two years in a row. But if he can get a full season, I knew he would be top five. Sure enough, he's the number one overall running back in some formats and it worked out. So sometimes if the upside is so egregious, you have to go for it, you go for it. Otherwise, I'm fading those guys because a lot of times it will come back to bite you more often than not when um, it's it's a routine situation. So, uh, Lucas, quick thoughts on drafting players that already have kind of that coming off of a, of a, a nasty injury or they have a history of injuries in general. Yeah, I think that, I mean, we harp on it all year. And obviously, like, the Dalvin Cook, I don't even think it's the outlier because – I guess I don't – his case is different because he was still being drafted as the, what, RB5? And, like, that I think that ADP had the injury baked in because he would be the RB uh, – I'd say three drafted behind Christian McCaffrey and Kamara, like, if you were to say he played 16 games. But these other ones that we see these every year, we, we, we have these guys that all summer, it's like, beware of his injury – beware of his injury. He's never played a full season and people still draft him because they think that he's going to overcome it. Like the, the injury concern is baked into ADPs for some players like cook, but for some of these players, this is where this, like the upside take, this is where you can, you can take this ADP and, and find the value in your drafts because you're avoiding these, these biased takes of injury concerns. Like let's, let's look at the ADP fast track, look at it. Joe Mixon never played a full season yet. People thought he was going to this year. Um, James Conner, he was the RB 15, but he got kind of up there in drafts in terms of like um, number, number of draft pick. He was like at the end of the round two, but he was obviously the RB 15. Uh, tons of guys. Todd Gurley was still being drafted early. Chris Carson never played a full season, still being drafted early. David Johnson hasn't played a full season in like four years, still drafted early. So like we, we say these injury prone things, not to like, say they can't overcome it, but for you to look at the ADP and say, okay, is that his actual fantasy value in ranking? Or is this what the market is saying if he plays a full season or if he plays half a season? Because then from there, you can find value in these drafts. So yeah, I think this is something that will probably come back in uh, towards draft season. But you could probably literally make an episode of like evaluating ADP based on injuries just to see like if injuries baked into some of these players ADP come draft time. Generally, do you we're going to go over our overall ranking style, how we all rank and and go through that process later in the season, but just for sake of this conversation Lucas, do you bake in injury history uh to your rankings of a player? I do quite a bit. Like I think there's there's just some scenarios where like this person's never played a full season. I can't Will Fuller, perfect example, right? You yeah, know the upside, like, but... Yeah, I didn't have him in a single league because, like, I just can't. I can't take a player that I know is not going to be in my lineup. Like, and everyone... I know a lot of people had him this year, and he had a really good year for... He played quite a bit of games, et cetera. But, like, it's just... 
I don't know. Like it's just you have to take these things into consideration in your roster build and your ADP evaluation because they are true. Like these players just don't injuries are random, but for majority of the league it's not. And I think people kind of overlook that. I totally agree. And there are certain players at the top, of course, Saquon Barkley coming back after two years of injuries. I guarantee you he's going to be a top five running back picked uh, this year. He might fall in the first round a little bit, but he'll still be a top five running back because we know the upside. He could turn into a Dalvin Cook season this year after two uh, getting injured. Julio Jones, obviously over the hill. I think we saw with injuries and age at this point, but still a guy that you know is going to miss a game or two but you got to play him because you have to have Julio for that 12 to 13 games. There's very few guys though in fantasy football that have that type of pedigree that you're willing to draft in the first three or four rounds that you know will probably be missed time, but you're going to eat it because when they're actually in the lineup, they're so dominant. You have to have that. So be careful when you're uh, drafting injury concerned players off the bat, especially in redraft. All right, Lucas, let's get into your second one here. Um, what do you have? I'll start going down the positions a little bit. Yep. So I have just streaming quarterbacks. This is another season that it did not work. Uh, it did not work last year. We didn't really, um, we weren't on the side of like, you can't stream quarterbacks. We were just saying that there was more value in, in what is called these bubbles of players that we're going to reference a lot today. Cause it's kind of how ADP has sort of shifted the past two years. Why zero RB works, why uh, early tight end works. So there's these bubbles of groups of players and it can stretch multiple rounds and it can stretch half a round. It doesn't really matter. And I'm sure everyone, if you are really invested, can kind of like uh, piece together these bubbles in your head of like who it was this year. But the late round quarterbacks, we'll take it back to 2019, didn't work, right? Like there was just a bunch of older guys. Obviously Russ kind of works, but his sort of volume isn't like a every week startable two years ago. But the guys that really worked last year were these middle round guys of Deshaun Watson, or sorry, two years ago. Deshaun Watson, Matt Ryan was good two years ago. Mahomes, obviously. Um, I'm just trying to pull up the ADP, scroll through here. It's kind of clustered. I mean, Andrew Luck was in the middle round ADP. Obviously, he retired, but he would have been fine. Come into this year, we see Lamar and Mahomes obviously bump up way, way bump up in overall ADP, not positional ADP. And I'm not going to say that they were bad picks because obviously they just didn't have as high volume games. But honestly, if you had them on your team, you probably didn't get burned because you weren't trying to stream quarterbacks of the likes of Daniel Jones, Big Ben, honestly, Drew Brees, Teddy B. Like the guys down low that just really weren't that great. So where we saw the bubble at this year, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen literally the top five quarterbacks and points per game in fantasy this year and people all offseason I know and I wasn't like wow they're too expensive I can't take Dak in the sixth round I can't take Kyler Deshaun Russ because I because I was taking those guys it just obviously wasn't a super comfortable pick but I think that coming into next year we're going to see there's going to be a lot of early round quarterbacks I think we're going to see kind of this fourth fifth round sort of like record-breaking ADP where we're going to have seven-day quarterbacks drafted before the sixth round just because people now realize the eight like I'm going to say elite quarterbacks so it'll be interesting to see how the ADP kind of fluctuates come next year but streaming quarterbacks did not work this year it did not work two years ago and people might be like well it did in my league well yes because your league settings might be a little different it all depends how many people draft quarterbacks but I can't name one person who is happy in a standard league with Carson Wentz, Drew Brees, Matt Stafford I guess Aaron Rodgers is the outlier, 
Daniel Jones, Cam Newton, Jared Goff, Joe Burrow, Big Ben, Baker Mayfield, Derek Carr. There was not very many championship teams, if any, that had those guys at quarterbacks because they decided to punt the QB in stream all year. There were a couple other names that did work out. Justin Herbert, obviously, but nobody saw that coming preseason. Uh, I was repping him because I'm a Justin Herbert fan, and I was like, look, if Terod Taylor doesn't work out due to injury or ineffectiveness, Herbert's going to be great. Obviously, the Terod Taylor thing kind of unfolded, and Herbert you know, kind of save leagues. Uh, I, I drafted Dak in every league that I possibly could. He was my QB three coming into the year. Obviously he goes nuclear the first couple of weeks gets hurt. I had Herbert and it worked out. Uh, Tom Brady, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk cousins all finished uh, as basically QB ones or, or high end QB twos and points per game. But Lucas, to your point, that's like four five, six names that worked out. And even Herbert, even Tannehill, even Cousins, who finished QB 11, didn't have every single week work out for them, right? Brady had a couple big games. Fitz had a couple big games, but he didn't play half the season. So to your point, if you went Mahomes or Jackson, then, of course, you know, you had huge uh, upside late in the season from Jackson and huge upside early in the season from Mahomes. But again, a second round pick. There's a lot of other names there that could have helped your team otherwise. But you're right. If you punted the position in a, a single quarterback league, um, it could have affected your rosters. Absolutely. Uh, why don't you keep going with the uh, with the positions here and, and what didn't work for the running back position? So this one, uh, I mean, everyone knows I was pro modified zero RB or zero RB, depending on how the first five picks of the draft went. Um, so I guess it's a little bit of a short background just because some people kind of joined mid-season so zero rb or the, the strategy that i had was more modified zero rb based on where your draft pick was so if you had picks one through five you were taking one of cmc barkley zeke kamar dalvin cook possibly derrick henry because me and you both faded barkley um pretty heavily obviously he got hurt but he wasn't gonna he was gonna be super up and down anyways uh, and again he'll be faded next year because he's gonna be high in adp because of his college talent so there's about six guys, filter out one if you want, that I would have taken with the first five to six picks. Then from there, I was completely off running backs. I went Travis Kelsey or rank, however you guys want to rank your top four receivers on the turn picks. So when I say, when I say drafting the wannabe RB1s, in that category was CEH, Sanders, Jacobs, Mixon, Kenyon Drake, and you could probably throw in Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, and Aaron Jones in there because those obviously were based on ranking dependent. And honestly, James Conner kind of made it into that round two sort of gap. So where the theory of the zero running back or modified zero running back wins is, well, everyone is rolling the dice on if you make your own rankings and you're listening, you know the pain it is to try and rank like your RB7 to like RB15 because it's if this, if that, if this, if that. So why, why the probability of you winning your league becomes higher by fading these guys is because you're not trying to figure out who's going to be the RB7 out of those eight dudes. Because most often than not, you're going to find the RB15 than you are the RB7 because these guys are, in quotation marks, workhorses. That's the, the, the theory we get all offseason where these guys are workhorses for their teams and there never are. We saw this in 2019 where, let's get the ADP up here, it was guys like, Todd Gurley, Damian Williams, Leonard Fournette was the workhorse that year. Carryon Johnson was not. Aaron Jones was not the workhorse. He just fell into the end zone like 16, 17 times. And Devontae Freeman. So we see this year every year. 
And it's called, this is, this is called the RB bubble uh, as referred to in Twitter by most people that are pro zero RB. So again, another year showed that this did not work to go RB RB on the turn. And it was still the most touted um, strategy. It was the only strategy that works because running backs win new leagues. And again, we saw that this year that they do not, that fantasy points win new leagues and fantasy points are going to win new leagues next year. So I mean, you guys can listen to me all you want, but we're going to be taking Travis Kelsey and wide receivers on the turn, and we're not going to be messing around with these running backs that you hope to be the workhorse for their team. You hope to be the RB1 because in a, you can roll, you could pick a random number one through 10, select, put these running backs one through 10, and you still have the same odds of hitting as trying to decide who the RB7 is out of a group of six running backs that never seem to work out as the workhorse on their team. And of course, a couple of those names that you mentioned in the second round, Aaron Jones and Nick Chubb, uh, particularly did work out in the long run. Nick Chubb, of course, missed five games, but on a per game basis was an absolute beast. But you're right. Um, if you if you didn't hit on one of those running backs, if you didn't pick Alvin Kamara, if you didn't pick Dalvin Cook uh, or Derrick Henry, and then if you didn't pick, let's say, Aaron Jones and uh, Nick Chubb and ate those five games, all those other backs and there was about 12 of them going in the first two rounds um, pre, maybe 15 in the, in the preseason uh, then you really hurt your team. Even Austin Eckler, who again, a lot of pedigree, but he ended up getting injured and we can't predict injuries again, but you know, it, it's really kind of a, a tough battle there. So when everybody zigs, you try to zag. That's why we were going Devonte Adams in the first round, Travis Kelsey in the second round and most of our drafts, and of course, Lucas and I happened to, to, to luck out on the guys that we were going for. Lucas was big on Derrick Henry. I'm big on Alvin Kamara every year, but also Dalvin Cook this year. Those are the guys that we chose in the first couple of rounds in our preseason drafts happened to work out this season. Um, but you really got to be careful. And again, you draft for safety and floor with upside in the first two rounds. And then you start kind of getting cute later on. So like that one. Uh, why don't we move on to number five and then we'll take a quick commercial break. Yep. So number five here, uh, this one, this one hits home to me uh, because for some reason people do this every year too. They avoid volume receivers and this kind of goes with the whole upside take or yeah, it's, it still blows my mind. So again, fantasy points win you championships, right? They win you your matchups because that's the only thing you can control. The only thing you can control is the lineup you put out to score fantasy points. And for some reason people still there's like this group of like volume receivers that no one takes every year because they're attached to a bad quarterback and they overcome it every year. They can't possibly get that many targets and they do again. Um, players below them have more upside. This doesn't really make any sense. So this year I'll start off with DeAndre Hopkins. I personally was off him because I didn't th see the volume transferring over and wide receiver switching teams doesn't usually work out but that being said if you have a sample of 100 receivers and 95 percent of them lose a dip in fantasy points there's still a five percent that went on and increased fantasy points and that was deandre hopkins this year but now we know we know that this offense maybe lack of christian kirk lack of andy isabella forced more targets to hopkins way besides the point julian edelman two years ago everyone knows i was super high on him because of volume he was going to get the same amount of volume this year obviously he just got hurt because he was right on track for that volume before he got hurt. Uh, so I'll be taking him in like the 15th round next year, um, just based off volume, because volume and PPR formats score fantasy points. 
another three really every year, Keenan Allen, Al Robinson, Robert Woods. Classic uh, fourth, fifth round, sometimes sixth round picks that people seem to fade because I, I still don't really know the reasoning because they get about the same amount of targets every year. And I'm pretty sure Keenan Allen and A-Rob saw more targets this year. And now Allen has a good quarterback. Everyone says that A-Rob doesn't have a good quarterback throwing to him. Well, like he never has, and he's still good every year in fantasy. And Woods is going to do the same thing he does every year. People will still fade him. And the last one here is Diggs this year. Um, I don't want to say we, we weren't really off him. I guess me and you just didn't piece together that he's going to see more volume. because It was kind of hard to see that, but I think like the theory behind it makes sense because he kept his same about the same target share he did with Minnesota. He just went to a team that threw the ball more. Um, so we'll have to do more if wide receivers switch teams this year, do more like research around not necessarily the receiver coming into the team, but like how the receiver is going to like mold into the target share, I think is a better way to put it. But basically the, the argument here is everyone avoids volume receivers a little bit because of upside and second, because it's not, it's not cool to get eight for 80 and a sometimes touchdown, but it's pretty cool to get 16 fantasy points instead of risking trying to get 20 when that player is going to go for eight because of upside. So this is another one that coming into next year, um, I know the market's not going to adjust on these volume receivers because they never do. So we will, uh, we will continue to uh, draft these guys in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. That's a great call. And again, I think the, the biggest thing I learned from you last year, Lucas, was this idea of getting volume players on your team. I don't dislike any of these players, um, you and I kind of went back and forth just for shits on Odell Beckham and Julian Edelman preseason, yeah. obviously those both blew up. But other than that, love nuke, obviously, but changing teams, love digs talent in general, but changing teams. And look to everybody's credit, Josh Allen 12 months ago was literally the worst throwing quarterback in the NFL. There's, there's like statistically, that's just mm -hmm. what it was. So to say digs talent, basically alone, and Brian Dable coming in, just lighting the league on fire was going to happen. Nobody predicted that. I don't give a shit who you are. You could have been like, hey, Diggs has a fresh start. He'll do better with a big arm and Allen. I buy that. Nobody thought what happened this year was going to happen with Diggs or Allen, period. Allen Robinson hasn't had a quarterback his whole career. You mentioned that last year. Somehow he ended up as a wide receiver eight. This year didn't even feel like he was a good quarter, a good wide receiver. Had a couple big games, had a few touchdowns. He's a wide receiver seven. He stays healthy after that gruesome injury in 2014-15 with the Jags. He's been healthy, gets the volume, even with Trubisky, even with Foles, even with Bortles. He's gotten it done. This guy gets a real quarterback. He's going to be a top five wide receiver. Then, of course, Keenan Allen and Robert Woods are basically the same receiver every single year, and they could even get better moving forward. If the Rams upgrade from Goff and maybe Cooper Cup potentially moves on or they get another one of these guys – um, out of there that's that's more uh, work for Woods and then Allen getting another year with uh, Justin Herbert we'll see what happens with them and Eckler when he comes back and whatever but Keenan Allen has these five six week uh, absolute on fire stretches every single season so get those fantasy points on your team Lucas taught me that we drafted a couple of teams together this year and um, bought into the uh, zero RB strategy when we were doing that we had to nitpick between all the wide receivers because all the running backs were gone so we had the 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 the, the pickings on the wide receivers, and Lucas really convinced me multiple times that like, look, this guy will get volume. I know he's not sexy. He's not going to have a forty point week like Devontae Adams does. 
but he's going to have 20 plus each week in PPR. And that's what wins you championships. So well done. Great call on that. All right, man, before we get into six through 10, I want to take a quick commercial break. And of course, I want to rep our new friends, our new partnership, the Jersey Jungle here on the podcast. You've heard me talk about them solo. You heard me and Dwayne talk about them already. Lucas, I know you're obviously a big Broncos fan. You got a handful of jerseys yourself. What is your favorite jersey that you have already? And what's a jersey you need to have in your collection? Well, I mean, I guess my, my favorite one, because it's funny, is my Brock Osweiler jersey. Um, so I don't, yeah, I, mean, I have a Von Miller one that I wear every game day, but the Brock, the Brock Osweiler one's pretty funny, but I don't know. I'm scared because the last time I bought a Jersey, it was the Osweiler and he left the team. I was going to buy a Lindsay Jersey. Apparently he's not going to get signed back. So I, <laughs> I, I, I don't really want to, I don't, I don't really want to buy one yet till I know, I don't know, Cortland Sutton, or I think Judy is probably a safe bet for them not to leave, leave the team, but it's scary. I, I, I lied. I have my Sanders signed Jersey. Obviously he's not on the team either. So I don't know if I want to go, go crazy and buy a bunch for them all just to leave, but I think uh, Sutton or Judy probably be the safer bet. Well, the great news is even if you're a Broncos fan, of course you can buy anybody else's Jersey. Now for me, I'm a big time 49ers fan, but like kind of insider secret, I only have a couple 49ers jersey. I have a signed Frank Gore jersey. That's my pride possession. I also have a Garrison Hurst jersey, the turning back the clock uh, for you OGs in the league. But that's about it. I need to get a Kittle. I want to get some throwback Patrick Willis. I could even get uh, Jeff Wilson, who's going to be my dark horse at running back next season. Whatever. Super clean, crisp jerseys, exactly like the game-worn jerseys that we see on Sundays in the NFL. If you're looking for a player on your favorite team like Lucas and I, or maybe you're looking for the player that just helped you win your fantasy championships, like for me, Devontae Adams, Justin Herbert, Alvin Kamara, those guys were on a lot of my championship teams. I'm looking to acquire those jerseys, absolutely. Hit up my man, at Jersey Jungle on Instagram. No website, no Twitter. Instagram, easy peasy. Go to Instagram, at the Jersey Jungle. Tell them TCK sent you and you get 10% off of one jersey or two jerseys and 15% off of a packet of three jerseys. The best part is if you go on to NFL.com and look for the same stitch, twill, super clean, uh, professional looking game day jerseys, they're about $120 on NFL.com. My man at Jersey Jungle has them for 60 bucks. All right. They're not imported. You don't have to wait six weeks to get these things. All right. They're not cheap knockoffs. These are the real deal. He sent me one, the Justin Herbert, baby blue LA chargers Jersey. It's clean, crisp. I love it. Fits perfectly 60 bucks straight value. But if you mention TCK, you get 10% off of that and 15% off if you get a packet of three. So I won three championships. I'm going to get three jerseys. I'm going to use that uh, mark for sure for TCK, get 15% off. We talk a lot of football here on the podcast, so of course I'm going to mention he's got all the football jerseys you could look for, but he also has NBA. He has soccer from around the world. He's got baseball, hockey, does custom jerseys for the color rush. He does home and away. He does throwback Hall of Famers. If you have guys like, I would love to get a Ken Griffey Jr. baseball jersey, and I get that Mariners one, of course, right? A legendary jersey. Got to have one of those. Go hit up my man at the Jersey jungle on Instagram, mention TCK, get 10% off of one or two jerseys, 15% off of three jerseys. I know you're going to be satisfied with what you get and uh, make sure you tell them that we sent you. All right, Lucas, let's get into six through 10, man. I'm going to let you go one more time on the tight ends and then I'll take a couple off your plate here. So who, what is your sixth 
thing that didn't work this year in fantasy football. Yeah. So not taking tight ends early. And I was on the tight end early train and I'm just going to read some stats just to double down on why everyone should have been this year. So Travis Kelsey outscored the tight end two by 57 points in half PPR in full point PPR. He outscored him by pull it up here. A little under 70, like 69.9. Actually, <laughs> Jesus. He scored twice as many points in half PPR as the tight end six. In full point PPR, he scored a little under double. He'd be the wide receiver three in half PPR. I think he was a little bit lower, obviously, because he, he should be. He's a tight end. He should not be a wide receiver three in full point PPR. He outscored all but three running backs in half PPR. And he delivered 80 yards and a touchdown in 13 of his 15 games. I mean, like in, in these things, obviously the, the numbers weren't as insane last year, but the trends were all true coming into last year, why he's a good pick in the second round. He's going to be in the first round next year, and I'm going to take him in the first round next year. So by not, so the, the, the what did not work was trying to stream tight ends, was trying to guess what tight end is going to be, I, I don't even know who we're trying to compare him to because like everyone's like, we're going to draft the next breakout tight end. Like, I, I can't name Darren Waller, I guess, but like he was only broke out because he's the wide receiver one on his team as well. It's not like he like was this like diamond in the rough prospect. Like he got cut from teams as a receiver, switched to tight end. and It was just a volume hog. Like that's what you want to target with these guys. So in 2019 and full point PPR points per game, there was 10 tight ends over 10 points per game. One of only one, two, and two of those 10 played under 10 games. In 2020, there was 12 tight ends over 10 full point PPR points per game, and only one, two, another another 10 played over uh, 10 10 games on the season. So what I'm trying to say is, is like if everyone's taking running backs because of opportunity cost, they're not being consistent and not taking tight ends because of opportunity cost. Because if you didn't have Kelsey, I'm going to say even if you didn't have Waller, like. Granted, Waller had a really good year, but his was very, very inflated by a couple games to where, like, I don't really consider him, like, a must-have to be good in fantasy this year. Because, I mean, here, here's Waller's um, game log. I'll just run through him quick. Four and a half, 16 and a half, under one point, 6.8, 10.8, 11, 2, 8, 3, 14, 2, 32, 7, 21, 11, 17. So, like, to me, that 17 was in week 17, so it doesn't even count because it's not fantasy season. To me, that really wasn't that kind of consistent and like good for your fantasy team. But that literally only leaves. Um, obviously, Kittle got hurt. Andrews was the exception because I had a lot of basically my teams were Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews. So like it was those are the two I use in comparison. And like obviously, Andrews wasn't as good as he was the year prior, but he was still good enough to where you would have made like he wouldn't have killed you as a fourth round pick. So going into next year. There's literally nothing to say. Just like don't screw it up. Don't try and stream these tight ends that. The tight end position was dead last year. They're really dead this year. Like it's, I don't, there's not going to be these miraculous breakouts by, yeah. Like it's just not going to happen because it didn't happen the year before that, the year before that, and the year before that. So just take Travis Kelsey, take George Kittle, take Mark Andrews and you'd be fine. Take Aaron Wall, you'd be fine for next year. So what would you say to the obvious argument of Lucas? Only one person can get Travis Kelsey, but I did the next best thing and I got George Kittle George Kittle only gave me eight games. What do you say about that? I mean, 
I can't. Well, yes, we can't project injuries, but if Kittle plays 16 games next year, he'll be, I don't know, what, 20 points at worst behind Kelsey, I think is the way to put it. I think um, we kind of, not that we had an argument, but people were kind of ranking Kittle at one. Their dynasty tight end was number one, was Kittle. And we made the argument that even at Kittle's best season, it would take a terrible season for Kelsey just due to volume for Kittle to overcome him, right? Like, and that, that kind of goes to show with a lot of positions, the drafting for upside thing is like Kelsey's volume is locked in because they're not bringing in any other receivers. They don't have like their wide receiver one is not Tyree Kill. It's Sammy Watkins based on targets per game because Hill as of lately in the playoffs and stuff has been like increasing his target volume. But prior to that, like he's only used for a couple routes. Like Kelsey is their guy. He's their go-to one. And he's not, he's, that's not going to change like anytime soon. So just take him in, lock in your 80 yards and a touchdown in 13 to 15 games with the chance of getting three or four touchdowns here and there because he has Patrick Mahomes, which we've seen plenty of times. He gets two touchdowns a game and over a hundred yards. So just lock it in. Don't even worry about it. You won't, you won't regret it because you know, that's not where you're going to mess up your draft. Like anybody that took Kelsey in the round two wasn't complaining because they didn't have Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler, who else? Kenyon Drake. Um, I'm trying to think Michael Thomas, because they had the guy that was getting him 18, 19 points a game. Now, if you draft Travis Kelsey up first, are you drafting somebody in the last round or two, just in case like this year, it could have been a, a TJ Hawkinson. Nobody expected Robert Tunyon. So I'm not going to include him in this, but um, even a John o. Smith who had a couple of good uh, weeks early, you know, something like that. Cause again, if you had George Kittle and you didn't draft a backup, uh, you were hurting because there's nobody on the waiver wire other than the stream weekly. And that's obviously a mess. So if you go Kelsey, are you backing that up with, because uh, again, anybody can get hurt and George Kittle did get hurt last year, but in a points per game on the tight end position, he's still tight end three. He only played eight games, but at a tight end at a, uh, points per game, he's still tight end three behind only Waller and Kelsey. So are you backing up that first round, second round pick with Kelsey with a backup tight end just in case? Uh, the only time I would do it would be if you're trying to follow the trends of like year two or year three tight ends, uh, which we talked about a lot last year at the hit rates. I'm sure we'll talk about it again this year, like the trends that tight ends take time. Uh, so last year, that was Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson this year. That'll make it what? Um, like Cole Komet, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, Irv Smith. Yeah. So like those would be the only ones that I'd take um, just due to trying to follow hit rates because outside of volume and trends of hit rates like no one can give me uh, a stat that correlates with tight end production because there because there is no tight end production outside of the top like five guys every year so uh, the answer is probably no because most of the time those guys go in like round nine or ten and I'd rather take um, Tony Pollard the running the Madison Vitavius Murray those guys the handcuff guys over them because they have they have way more value um, in hindsight of how you look at value and fantasy comparative backup tight ends. And maybe most of those guys you're going to draft later, probably just available on the waiver wire for free anyway. And then you can draft other guys there in case a guy like Kelsey Kittle or Waller does get injured. So I agree with you there. Um, I don't think it's any surprise that people would be drafting Travis Kelsey in the first, second round. It might sound crazy now, but if you remember just what, three, four, five years ago, Rob Gronkowski was a first round pick yeah. for five years. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. it, I mean, he was a top 10 pick for five years and 
he got injured two or three games a year didn't matter because he was so far and ahead of everybody else. Jimmy Graham was the same thing uh, back in the day. Tony Gonzalez, for those of you that have been playing 15 plus years, whatever, 20 years, um, another thing. So when you have that separator position, that's you go for. I agree there. Okay, number seven, I'm going to take over the next couple here, give you a, a second to breathe, Lucas. Um, seven and eight for me kind of go back to back. So not working the waiver wire, so not participating much in the waiver wire, and then kind of on top of that, spending too much fab on questionable players. So what I mean by that is, so first of all, not working the waiver wire. So it's week one, James Conner gets hurt. Benny Snell comes in, has a hell of a game. Now, all of a sudden I'm kind of like, meh, I don't know about Benny Snell. Now this example, unfortunately is something I'm going to bring up in a second because it bit you in the ass, but usually that's a sign that, Hey, I need this backup, this handcuff guy. This is what handcuffs are for. I need to pick them up and have it work out. Benny Snell was kind of a bust the rest of the way. I'll go over that in a second. But the reality is you had to jump on that or you lost the opportunity. Now, it worked out in his case because he didn't work out. But usually you need to be active in the first, I would say, four to six weeks of the season because, A, that's when most of the kind of injuries happen because guys are out of shape uh, from preseason or no preseason this year. Uh, they're coming off of offseason injuries. They're not at full speed. They finally hit full speed and then they get injured. Um, a top dog goes down. Now all of a sudden you have a second, third, fourth string receiver, uh, you know, whatever, running back, yada, yada. So not working the waiver wire, not being active on the waiver wire could have been very effective in a negative way to you, unfortunately. So I'm not saying you have to go and blow your fab because the next thing is spending too much fab on question marks. You don't necessarily have to go out there. And if Benny Snell's your option, you don't go out there and spend 80% of your fab in week one to get the potential workhorse running back for the Steelers, unless James Conner's out for the season, which he wasn't. So you don't do that. But getting a guy like Wayne Gallman, when Saquon Barkley goes down, Wayne Gallman was, you know, easily an RB2 and sometimes a back in RB1 for, you know, about four or five weeks there when nobody was thinking about him, right? So you're able to get some of these guys, Adrian Peterson every year is one of those that he's not sexy, but as Lucas will tell you, he gets fantasy points. And as your RB3 or a second flex, like you can do worse than 12 points every single week, all right? So not working the waiver wire could have burned you for sure. And then spending too much fab on question marks is definitely um, something that could have affected you, affected you negatively. Benny Snell is one of them, of course. Naheem Hines, huge game to start the season. Marlon Mack goes down. Everybody's assuming, okay, he's the next man up. Well, Jonathan Taylor's there. Jordan Wilkins is there, whatever. Most people spent most of their fab on Naheem Hines. He didn't do anything for another seven weeks. He eventually has another big blow-up game on his birthday. Everyone goes out and gets him again. He still doesn't do anything. So a lot of people burned all their fab twice on Naheem Hines. Remember Dearness Johnson? Nick Chubb goes down. Everyone's like, okay, it's Kareem Hunt, it's Kareem Hunt, it's Kareem Hunt. Actually, they're a two-back system. Maybe it's Dearness Johnson. Let's go and get him. People blow their fab on Dearness Johnson. He has one game, doesn't do anything, not very effective. Antonio Brown, when he became active, people went nuts. Yes, AB was somewhat effective, but not until the last couple of weeks. So when you picked him up, he wasn't even usable for multiple weeks. And then you were so worried about a suspension, all these other weapons, yada, yada, that didn't work out. Josh Gordon had some heat. Des Bryant came back. These are spikes in waiver wire uh, pickups and fab people blowing their fab money, right? My general strategy, unless I know for sure, 
that I'm getting a bell cow running back behind a running back that just went down, or I'm getting a must have uh, like a Jalen hurts end of the season in the super flex, like the only quarterback available. I'm going to spend all my fab to get him. Uh, I'm going to get a top, like a Robert Tunyon who becomes a top five tight end out of nowhere that nobody knew about. I'm going to gobble him up before everyone else can. Those are something that I can do when I, that's a move I'm willing to risk when I have all my fab. I'm not willing to go out there and blow it all on Russell Gage because Julio is going to be out for two weeks. I'm not willing to do it because Tyreek Hill had a hamstring issue. So we're going to try the Sammy Watkins or the, the uh, Demarcus uh, Robinson or, um, you know, Nicole Hardman experiment again. I'm not doing that. Right. So I kind of piece my fab throughout the season and look, I, I don't want to burn it at the end because you don't take it with you next season. But usually I try to save it till at least the halfway point, unless there's something automatic. Then I start to think like, okay, well, I can gobble up and maybe I start playing defense from my opponents and yada, yada. So Lucas, before I move on to uh, nine and 10, how do you generally kind of orchestrate your fab um, in general heading into the season? Yeah, I think like, well, I started off saying there was a lot of effort. I think like, um, I guess what I mean is I think people will associate like there really being a strategy and effort. Like they just kind of like neglect the two or separate and they think it's like all one thing. And I think for the most part, it really is all effort. Like, I think like everything you said is true because I think what I realized this year is there's no point of, um, well, prior to the season, I said that like, if there's an opportunity like CMC and Barkley getting hurt, to where Gallman and Mike Davis open up, like I'm spending 99% of my fat because that, that does hold up. We see this every year where, uh, I don't know, I can't even think two years prior who, who a running back waiver guy would have been due to an injury, but we'll see one next year where, um, I don't know, Kamara gets hurt and Latavius Murray is going to be in a top 10 RB going forward. Obviously he'll be drafted uh, for the most part, but if he's on your, t- on your waiver, throw 95% of your fab at him because you're not going to get that opportunity again. Um, whereas like you said, Hines, Johnson, Snell, um, to try to even think of other. Yeah. I mean, the 40, the 49ers was a big one. I think, you know, last year with, uh, Tevin Coleman being that number one, Jarek McKinnon goes down, then you have Raheem Mostert, um, as well. Right. And then Jeff Wilson steps in and does the same thing. Uh, you know, so when you know it's a system situation, you're good to go. Now, Alexander Madison's one of the most popular handcuffs every single year behind Dalvin Cook. He's done great in opportunity, but this year, his first game when Dalvin got hurt, he didn't do anything. And people are like, oh, I blew on my fab, like blah, blah, blah. Well, Dalvin missed at the end of the season, and uh, Alexander Madison got another opportunity. A lot of people didn't play him because they were burning the season. And now all of a sudden he goes out and rips off a huge game because it's the system, you know, that more times uh, than not that running backs going to succeed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think like what, um, so exactly what you said is make sure like it's a locked in profitable waiver transaction. And that seems very like, well, how do you know that? But like, it kind of is true. Like you can kind of get vibes of like Wayne Gallman, Mike Davis, based on depth chart, based on how long this person's projected to be injured, stuff like that. And then really like throw 95% of your fab at those guys. Cause I like, cause it was like, I can't even James Robinson this year. Like you could have thrown hundred percent of your fab at James Robinson and not had a single transaction that cost fab. Maybe that you even wanted to get maybe just defense of the whole year. You probably would have made the playoffs because that 20, even if you only got 14 points per game, like that 14 points per game 
off the waivers for 16 weeks is insanely profitable compared to maybe you hit on a 10 point per game from Naeem Hines two out of the 16 weeks that you would have had him on your team. And then the second part is just effort. It really just comes down to, are you looking at the waivers? Are you seeing how much fab your other opponents have? And are you just really just paying attention because you can't enact these strategies without paying attention pretty, pretty hardcore. Yeah, I totally agree. It's interesting to run fab. And of course, fab is free, uh, free agent acquisition budget. Um, it's kind of the, the standard at this point, I think, um, with waiver claims, if you're not doing it in your league, we recommend it. Um, if waivers go through and you don't spend fab and there's still guys available, most of the time you can get them up for no bid. So you can actually get them for quote unquote free right off the waivers. But if like a Mike Davis comes up and Christian McCaffrey's going down, everyone's going to bid on that guy. That's the type of dude that we've seen year in year end. Like if a top guy goes down, they come in right after them. It's worth working out. Now, does it always work out? No, of course not. But look, Tony Pollard was the number one running back. Jeff Wilson was the number one running back on the week back-to-back weeks and they're the the second stringers right so their top guy goes out they end up being that dude so be careful with your fab budget okay number nine for me starting players weekly based on their name and draft capital over production this happens every single season it's really hard to get away from especially if you have the higher pedigree on these guys but it is so important that you take it week by week in fantasy trust me Lucas and I are like fantasy football addicts. <laughs> we do this all year long. We talk about fantasy. We do uh, dynasty stuff this time of year. We're getting into redraft, yada, yada. We cannot wait to draft teams. We can't wait till week one. But all of a sudden, I said it a couple weeks ago. I had this like, we do this five episodes a week during the season, three to four to five heading into the season. I mean, we're just like in the zone all the time and days just go by and go by and go by and things happen. And all of a sudden it's week six, then it's week 10, then it's week 13 for the playoffs. Then the playoffs are over and now we're here and you kind of sit back. You're like, Holy shit, dude. Like the season just happens so fast. Like four months of football are just behind us like that. And I can remember the anticipation for week one. So you get caught up in the mix. And a lot of times you look at your lineup because you got eight of them running and you say, Oh, Matt Ryan, dude, it's Matt Ryan. I got to play Matt Ryan. Who am I going to start over him? Sam Darnold, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, you know, there's no way I'm going to stream a guy over him. I'm going to go with Matt Ryan. Well, Matt Ryan without Julio Jones this year was absolutely horrendous. Has been outside of one game, has been his entire career. And he was the QB 13 in, in points per game, but that's based on three big games. Otherwise he's around QB 20. So if you had him the first two weeks, he was excellent. He crushed right? They played Dallas and Seattle. He had over 40 fantasy points. After that, though, didn't achieve 20 very often in a quarterback. That's abysmal. After that, there's another couple names here. Guys like Drew Brees, QB 15 in points per game. Obviously, he missed a handful of games, but in points per game, QB 15 when he was in there. No real blow-up games from Drew Brees. Zeke Elliott, QB 16, or I'm sorry, RB 16, running back 16, on the uh, year in um, PPR fantasy points per game. Obviously that is dreadful. Now Dak Prescott, I get it. Top five before he went out. We'll see what happens next year. Yada, yada. The reality is once we found out that Dak was gone and Zeke wasn't Zeke without him, you had to, I, I would be surprised how many people actually benched him. I get it. You can't bench a guy like Zeke because of the upside. But if you had a James Robinson or a Mike Davis off of the waivers that you picked up, those are the type of guys I would feel comfortable potentially in a bad matchup swapping out for Zeke. Kenyon Drake, RB25, in and out of the lineup. Hollywood Brown, wide receiver 47 in PPR. 
couple big blow-up games, but that's not been until the last month. He was pretty much unusable all season long. A lot of hype for Hollywood Brown. I faded him all summer long, didn't draft him anywhere. I was thankful I didn't. T.Y. Hilton, same thing. Wide receiver, 50 in points per game. Zach Ertz, tight end, 27. Now, I thought to myself when I looked up the stat, I was like, man, Zach Ertz only played like three games, though. It's kind of unfair to like QB 20 or tight end 27. That makes sense. He played 11 games. He only missed five technically, but their offense was in shambles. Carson Wentz was in and out. Dallas Goddard took a step forward, but didn't do much. The play calling was bad. The Eagles were bad in general. Then they get Jalen Hurts, who didn't really use the tight end. So that didn't work out. And again, top three tight end coming in preseason. And Hayden Hurst and Evan Ingram, to name a couple others, tight ends here. Tight end 17 for Hurst, tight end 20 in points per game for Evan Ingram. So again, those are a lot of guys that had hype preseason or we've been excited for. So you kept them in your roster, hoping for another big game, hoping for another big game. And the worst thing is, is you leave a guy like Hollywood or Zeke or T.Y. Hilton or uh, uh, Evan Ingram in your lineup. Yes, eventually they give you a big game. That's the worst part, though, because then you're like, see, I told you. And you keep them in your lineup even longer and they continue to bury your team. So it's okay to cut bait in fantasy football. Make sure that you're able to make those moves midseason. And then number 10, and Lucas, I'll get your feedback on these after this, fading players due to last year's slump. Okay, so the 10th thing that I thought was something that didn't work this year was fading guys on last year's slump. A couple players to mention, and there's a ton of them, as you can imagine. A couple that I thought off top, though, popular names. Aaron Rodgers. He had his worst performance in a non-injury-riddled season last year. He comes in. I was in between, like, top 10 or top 15 because I wasn't sure, blah, blah, blah. Finishes the QB3. Didn't have many yardage. Doesn't matter. He had a career high in uh, touchdown passes. Absolutely on fire. Looking at the MVP of this season. So QB3 for Aaron Rodgers faded. Kirk Cousins. I never draft Kirk Cousins because he's not sexy, but as Lucas will tell you, he gets you straight fantasy points, 25 fantasy points a week. Love that at the quarterback position, QB 11. David Montgomery, wasn't sure about him coming in with the rookie situation. He had a groin injury coming in. We had Tariq Cohen still. We had Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles, yada, yada. RB4 on the season. Got all that volume. Josh Jacobs, RB8. Wasn't pretty, but he got up there. I didn't think he could withstand it. Last year, he was an RB2. He got it done in the second season. Melvin Gordon bounced back from an RB2 position as well, RB14. Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, DK Metcalf, Tyreek Hill, and Calvin Ridley. They were all wide receiver twos last year. They were, be- they were between wide receiver 24 and wide receiver 33 in 2009. Now all of them in the top seven in 2020 so again you play with the talent you play with the opportunity you play with the volume you play with the coaching strategy and the game scripts these are the type of players you really can't fade right some of these guys on the list I did Cousins faded Jacobs faded Melvin Gordon faded and I was okay fading them but I was in on Rodgers I was in on David Montgomery ish I was in on Adams Diggs DK obviously um, Hill and Ridley and that worked out so you're looking for those bounce backs So, Lucas, thoughts quick on 9 and 10 here. Starting players weekly based on the name and the draft capital over the production. So, keeping a guy in your lineup that you maybe shouldn't, but you spent all that draft capital on, but maybe it's not a good move, but it's hard to take them out. And then fading players due to last year's slump. They come in, they have kind of a bum year, but you're trying to bring them back. And, again, it's kind of hard to pull that trigger to uh, draft them on draft day. 
Yeah, I think the name value thing we talk about all the time. And I think really the way to, because we all experience this, the way to like overcome that, um, it sounds like it's like a disease or something or like a, that you have to get rid of is to like once the season It is starts, hard though. Like, it is something to overcome. I'll say that. Yeah. like once So once the season starts, like don't think about where you drafted them, right? Like I think a, a fun way to, honestly, like I think it works is like, Zeke last year like put him in your flex spot like in quotation marks and demote him to your flex because then you won't like I know I look at it as like oh he's my RB1 against their RB1 like who's gonna score more points and I know everyone does that like you might not like think that but you look at who the better players on their team are first before you look at who their flex is or who their wide receiver three is or if it's a super flex who their QB2 is like it's just how it is so like demote the player to the flex so then they're, they're your so then Zeke's your flex not your first round pick like things like that is like it, it, it makes it easier to then draw conclusions because if Zeke's are in your RB1 slot every week you're probably going to keep playing him there like you're not going to play nine Hines over Zeke because you're not going to put Hines in as your RB1 right like things like this that you can just kind of tweak to maybe if you can't for some reason get rid of that name value but again the, the fantasy points is how you win and that, that goes to number 10 yeah the slump is completely narrative driven all offseason by people that make these narratives to fit their rankings, to fit how they want the season to play out because, because of upside, because of any, any, whatever the scenario is. So, yeah. So don't look at, we look at last year's data, obviously, but looking at it as a slump or like there's, it's not a slump. Like there was a reason that maybe Rogers was QB 12 last year. Was it like red zone passing ratio because if anyone's listening that's what it was because they just ran the ball in the red zone this year they threw the ball Aaron Jones had 19 touchdowns that's what it was yeah so like you just have to like you can look at the data and make your narratives whatever but look at why there was a a slump or why he was QB 13 to three like Cousins QB 11 I'm pretty sure he was pretty close to that the year before and the year before people just don't like drafting 19 points per game Montgomery obviously I don't, I, I'm a Montgomery fan because he's an Iowa State guy, but like, I wasn't going to think he was going to be the RB4 this year, but he was definitely going to be the RB15 minimum just due to volume. People still faded him. Jacobs, um, I mean, you drafted Jacobs right at his value, so I guess it was a good pick, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, so like find the reasoning for maybe the slump or uh, for them not producing. Like, don't just assume they're bad because that's what everyone else does, and that's why ADPs are easily exploitable and maneuverable and profitable and that's why we do this episode and that's why we'll have many episodes like this uh throughout the offseason to kind of show where you can find edges against adp and against the market yes sir to recap quickly five things that didn't work for me this year drafting injury concerned players players that had injury tags coming in or injury history not working the waiver wire not being proactive on the waiver wire spending too much fab on question mark decisions And then, of course, we just talked about them starting players weekly based on the name or draft capital or the production in general. So not sitting your studs because you're supposed to start them when maybe you should turn on the guy like A.J. Green or T.Y. Hilton when they're not producing. And then fading players due to last year's slump, as we just talked about. Lucas, why don't you recap your top five things as well that didn't work for you this year? Yep. So the number one thing was drafting for quotation marks upside, streaming quarterbacks, drafting the wannabe RB1s avoiding volume receivers or volume plays in general, and then not taking tight end early. 
All right, y'all, we hope this helped you and benefited you on some things to get better with and to focus on for next season. Of course, we will have plenty of episodes of what to do and things we recommend you get into, but we had to start the transition from 20 to 21 with the things that didn't work for us. So you know that we like to recap things to make sure we clear up all the loose ends before we move on to the next season. We hope this is valuable. If it has been valuable, please give us a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening to your podcast. Give us a like and a follow. Uh, we appreciate that on social medias at fantasy football underscore TCK pod on Instagram and at TCK underscore pod on Twitter. Make sure you go see our boy, the Jersey jungle on Instagram, get yourself a Jersey 60 bucks for a Jersey or 10% off of one or two or 15% off of three jerseys. If you mention TCK, So make sure you drop them a DM on Instagram, the Jersey jungle, tell them sky and Lucas from the TCK pod sent you and we'll get you that nice crisp Jersey for your favorite player, your favorite team, or someone that brought you home that hashtag TCK title from my man, Lucas Kaser. I'm your host sky Guasco. We'll catch you tomorrow. We are out of here. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.